0: My name is Alex Barthet. I am a board-certified construction attorney here in Florida. And today we're going to talk about how a subcontractor can follow these simple steps to get paid ideally faster. So let's get started. All right, so let's go through the agenda. What are we going to go over today? Um, Step one, we're going to talk about your contract. Why? Having a contract is important and the one change that you should make that will make a big difference in your ability to protect yourself and get paid. Step two, we're going to talk about securing your lien rights. That is definitely a critical step in getting paid. Um, If the job is bonded, we'll go over what your bond rights are step by step so that you understand what those obligations are that you have. Next, we're going to talk about the right way to exchange a release for a check. We see clients make mistakes in this regard all the time, so doing it right makes a big difference. And then throughout the presentation, I'll talk about a lot of free tools that we offer to help you with all of these steps one, two, three and four. And of course, if you have any questions, we will answer your questions at the end. All right, so let's talk about your contract. Step one. the most problematic provision with respect to your contract and getting paid is as a subcontractor the always present and problematic pay when paid provision so let me explain what it is and then we can talk about how to fix it so a pay when paid clause is a contractual term in your contract which shifts the risk of the owner's non-payment to the contractor to non-payment to you it is a legal defense in the state of Florida. It is valid and enforceable. So if you have a pay when paid provision in your contract, if the owner doesn't pay the contractor, the contractor does not have to pay you as the subcontractor. By the way, that means that that's assuming that uh, or that means even if you've done everything right, you've done all the work, you've delivered all the materials, you've done it on time, there's no defective work or issues with your work. If that one condition happens, which is the owner hasn't paid the contractor, then the contractor doesn't have to pay you. It's a big problem. So let's talk about ways to deal with that in your contract. So the first thing you should consider is think about how to deal with it. When someone hands you the contract before you sign it, are there changes you can make to it? Um, Can you strike it from the contract? Can you um, revise it at all? The next most important thing is to add a stop work provision. So most contracts um, have a requirement that you do the work no matter whether you're being paid or not. So can you add a a provision in your contract that says I am allowed to stop work if I am not getting paid? do you have lien or bond rights? Those rights are irrespective of the pay when paid obligation. Meaning, if you have lien rights, the owner may you may still have rights to lien the project even if the owner hasn't paid the contractor. So, bond and lien rights are ways to sidestep the pay when paid. So, let's let's look at the stop work provision because it is so important. Um, so subcontractor shall not be entitled to stop the work on account of a contractor's default, including non-payment, but shall proceed with the dispute resolution procedures in this agreement. So this is a provision we see in most contracts. Um, and And in essence, it says you have to keep working even if we have a disagreement, even if I haven't paid you, even if we're arguing about change orders. You know, there's a provision in the contract that talks about how to deal with disputes, but you cannot stop working on the project. You have to just follow that procedure. So that's what keeps you working, even if you're not getting paid. So what you need to do is add a provision to the contract, your subcontract that says something like subcontractor may slow or suspend work if any payment requests have not been paid in full within 30 calendar days from submission. So what does this mean? This means, okay, if, you don't pay me, I get to stop work. Now it does not eliminate the pay when paid provision. It doesn't require that they pay you, but what it does do is it allows you to stop working if you're not getting paid, because of course, if you're not getting paid, you still have to, and you still have to work, you have to pay your employees, you have to buy materials. It's a very uh, expensive way to run a project, spending all the money and not getting paid anything. so that when sometimes folks ask me, Alex, if there's one change you could make I can make to my subcontract, what would it be? I would say, hands down, it's adding the right to stop work if you're not getting paid. So let's talk about why a bond claim or a lien um also helps you uh so if the job is bonded, so the g c maybe it's a public project, maybe it is a private project with a payment bond because the g c got a payment bond the surety, the the bonding company is not entitled to assert the pay when paid defense. What do I mean by that? That means your contract with the general contractor may say that the contractor doesn't have to pay you if the owner doesn't pay the contractor, but they issued a payment bond. That payment bond does not have the pay when paid defense, meaning even if the owner hasn't paid the contractor and the contractor doesn't have to pay you, you may still have rights against the general contractor's surety because the surety cannot assert the pay when paid defense. So this is a great way to protect yourself. If the job is bonded, you need to timely secure your your bond rights so that you can get paid by the surety even if the contractor doesn't have to pay you. And then if if you have lien rights, an owner cannot assert the defense of pay when paid because it's not in their contract, that con- that pay when paid provision exists between you and the contractor, not between you as the subcontractor and the owner. So, if the owner hasn't paid the contractor, you still have your lien rights. So securing your lien rights is a great way to ensure that you're going to get paid even if you have not, uh, even if you have a pay when paid provision in your contract. Um, you know, so this is our this is the first of the various tools that that we offer. Um, it is called the Contract Detective. You can go to contractdetective.com. You can upload your construction contract, and in about 90 seconds, it will send you back a a highlighted version of your contract identifying what we consider the top 10 most dangerous contract provisions and identifies them in the contract. So liquidated damages, consequential damages, pay when paid, um, indemnity, those types of provisions uh, will be highlighted. And then we include a link to a short video and an article describing each of those provisions and and ways that you can change those provisions to better protect yourself. So check it out. It's completely free, contractdetective.com. Okay, step two, securing your lien rights. Making sure that you have lien rights um, is a great way to ensure you're gonna get paid as a subcontractor. Um, So how do you do it? You have lien rights as a subcontractor if the contract price between the owner and the contractor exceeds $2,500, which is pretty much every contract. You then need to serve a notice to owner on all interested parties no later than 45 days from your first labor or furnishing materials on the contract. Again, Sunray does a great job at ensuring that your notice to owner is timely served, Um, but again, the absolute deadline is 45 days from from your first work or materials on the job site, and that means that it has to be received by the 45th day so you need to make sure you get it uh, served sooner uh, and get it to sunray sooner so that they can process it quickly the next deadline you need to record your claim of lien no later than 90 days from your last work or delivery of materials so notice to owner within 45 days of your first work a claim of lien recorded no later than 90 days from your last work Uh, A copy of that lien needs to be served on all interested parties uh, within 15 days. If you use Sunray, then Sunray is going to take care of mailing it out to everybody. And then you need to file a lawsuit to foreclose on the lien no later than one year from the recording date of the claim of lien. If you don't file that lawsuit within one year, you will lose your lien rights, meaning the lien will automatically expire. So those are the deadlines that you need to keep in mind. So let's talk about some common traps we see. Um, All days, the 45 and the 90 are calendar days. So be careful when you calculate those days. Remember 90 days is not three months. Some months have more than 30 days. Some months have fewer than 30 days. So don't count uh, July 7th, August 7th, you know, because now, you made me off a day or two. Uh, You got to count 90 days. Uh, Warranty and punch list work is not last work. So if you go back, you're the painter, you go back and you touch up um, some scrapes on the wall, uh, that is not your last day of work. The last day of work is the last day you did real work, real substantive work pursuant to your contract. So warranty, repair work, punch list work is not considered last work. And there are ways for this, the time to file your lawsuit. I told you it's one year. It can be shortened down to 60 days via what's called a notice of contest of lien, or down it could be reduced down to 20 days with what's called the summons to show cost. So just be aware that from the time you record your lien, you may receive things in the mail, you may be served things by a process server, and those things are very important to deal with because they will shorten the time that you have to file your lawsuit. So here's tool number two. Uh, it's a free tool. You can go to calculeen.com, c-a-l-c-u-l-i-e-n.com. And it's a handy desk tool. We'll mail it to you for free. Uh, that helps you calculate the 45 days from your first work for your notice to owner and your, uh, 90 days from your last work for your claim of lien. Again, if you go to that website, you will, in your information and we'll put it in the mail and you'll get it in a few days completely free. Okay, securing your bond rights. Step number three. If the project is bonded, making a claim on the payment bond prevents the contractor from and the surety from asserting the pay when paid defense. Again, all of this is focused on what can you do in order to ensure that you get paid. So, what are the steps you need to follow to secure your payment bond claim? Um, So, remember, a payment bond is a financial instrument that is issued to ensure that you get paid. So, instead of having a lien on the property, you have a legal claim on this secure, this surety bond, this financial instrument. How do you know if a job is bonded? Well, a copy of the bond should be recorded, with the, uh, recorded in the public record. It, if the job requires a notice of commencement to have been recorded, a, a reference to the bond should be in the notice of commencement and a copy of the bond should be attached. But if you use Sunray, they're gonna do this research for you and they will ensure that if the job has a bond that the surety be put on notice. So what are the steps that you need to follow? So the first document that needs to be served is what's called a notice to contractor. So within 45 days from your first work or delivery materials, if you, do, if you are not in privity, if you do not have a direct contract with the bonded contractor, then you need to serve this notice to contractor within 45 days of your first work. So what does that mean? If you are the plumber, To the bonded contractor, you do not need to send this notice to contractor. You should. I recommend that you do it, that you have a procedure in your office that on every job you serve your your notice to owner and notice to contractor. But just know that you don't technically need it uh, if you have a direct contract with the bonded contractor. If you are the heat metal sub -sub subcontractor to the mechanical subcontractor who has the contract with the general contractor, then yes, you would need to send this notice to contractor. If you're the material supplier to the plumber, you know, you provide the fixtures and and plumbing pipes, then you would need to serve this notice to contractor. The next document that needs to be served uh, is what's called a notice of non-payment. It's a lot like a claim of lien. It is, it provides much, but not exactly the same information. And it does not get recorded, it gets served on the surety. And this needs to be prepared, signed, notarized, and received by the contractor and the surety no later than 90 days from your last work or delivery of materials on the job site. And then to file your lawsuit, you need to do that within one year of the last day that you performed work on the job site. So your last date of work from that date you have 1 year to file a lawsuit against the surety to enforce your rights on that bond so remember when we talked about claims of lien you had 1 year from the last from you had 1 year from the recording date of the claim of lien to file your lawsuit on a bond action you have 1 year from your last work so there's a, a delta between a lien Lawsuit and a bond lawsuit of ninety days, the difference between when the lien was recorded versus your date of last work. So just be careful about that. So here are some trip uh, common traps we see with respect to bond claims. Um, so you need to know that the forty five days to serve the notice to contractor doesn't start to run. Uh, again, this is assuming that you needed to send it. It doesn't start to run if a notice of commencement is not recorded, if the bond is not um, referenced in the notice of commencement, or you as the lienor don't otherwise know that the bond even exists. So let me give you an example of of how this applies. Let's assume you are a uh, masonry sub subcontractor. So I'm the mason to the shell contractor who has a contract with the bonded GC and the and the bonded GC did not timely record his a copy of the bond and the note if I look at the notice of commencement there's no reference to the bond in the notice of commencement so I'm a sub subcontractor I have to serve this notice to contractor within 45 days of my first work well I can't I can't do it Because I don't even know that the job has a bond. Because if I look in all the places that are are supposed to tell me if the job is bonded, there's no reference to the bond. So what does this statute say? This, This rule says that the time to serve that first notice doesn't even start to run until I become aware of it. Because the contractor who was supposed to record the documents in the public record to make me aware of it didn't do it. Um, We had a client who was in this exact situation. He was the mason to a shell contractor on a bonded project. He came to us, he was owed about $150,000, and he said, uh, I never served my notice to contractor on time. Meanwhile, by the time he came to us, he was done. The job was over. Um, He had finished the job, his work, about 60 days before. So we did a search in the public records. We realized that there's no, re- no notice of commencement, no reference to the bond. We did some digging on our own. We found a bond. So again, remember he's done with the job now. He's been working for more than a year. What do we do? We serve the notice of notice to contractor. The next day we serve the notice of non-payment. The next day we file our lawsuit to foreclose, uh, to, we file our lawsuit on the notice of non-payment against the surety. It took about four months, but we went back and forth, and the judge ultimately agreed with us that because the contractor didn't do what he needed to do, uh, we were able to recover. So our client got all his money uh, from the surety plus interest and legal fees. Uh, So, again, remember that there are ways to uh, recover even when you think you may not have followed the rules because there's an exception that may apply. Uh, and to help you understand what the rules are, we have our next tool, which is uh, called the lean You can go to leanomatic.com and get it. It is a handy free desk tool. We'll send it to you for free when you provide us your information and it will explain what you have to file and when you have to file it to secure all your lean rights. So all the rules we went through are in this device. So you can just open it up and you can easily reference what the rules are so that you know what to file and when to file it to secure your rights on liens and bond claims. Okay. Step number four, exchanging releases correctly. We see clients make mistakes all the time about uh, in the way they exchange releases. So let's start with the forms of releases. So chapter 713, which is the lien statute has A standard form. It's very simple, a very simple lien release form. There are two exceptions to being able to use this form. Uh, One, did you sign a contract that said you were going to use a specific form of release? You know, if you're doing work for any type of sophisticated contractor, almost certainly there is reference to an exhibit in your subcontract that says when you make a payment request, you're going to use the release form found in exhibit. 14. So you got to look at that document and see what it says. Do you agree with what it says? More likely than not, if they're giving you a a form of release that they want you to use, then it's going to be good for them and not so good for you. The other way, the other reason we find that people won't use the simple release forms that are found in the lien statute is what's called the golden rule. We all know the golden rule, which is he who has the gold makes the rules. So they tell you, well, look, if you want your money, you got to sign this document. If not, I'm not going to pay you. So that's a business decision you have to make, but just be aware that that happens quite frequently. So if you can include in your contract, the the, the form of release that you agree on using, that will uh, speed up the, the process of getting paid because you've already agreed in advance on the form of release you're going to use. So what are some of the traps we see with respect to exchanging releases? Is the waiver for a some certain or a period of time? Know that the amount of time that's referenced in the release the the through date of the release uh, will always control over the um, the amount of money that you're gonna get. So what do I mean by that if if I If you're expecting a $50,000 check that gets you paid through the end of the month and you come to my office to sign that release um, and pick up your check and I'm only going to give you a $20,000 check, not the $50,000 check, but the release is still through the end of the month, you have a problem because now this document says that you are releasing all of your rights through the end of the month for $20,000. So what do you have to do? You have to change the release to reference the fact that, well, if you're only paying me 20,000, I'm not releasing it through the end of the month, I'm releasing it only to the fourth of the month or the 21st of the month, whatever corresponds to the number. Where we see clients make mistakes is they assume, well, I'm owed 50, I submitted a pay request for 50, they're only paying me 20, It doesn't matter what the release says, because when I do my math, it still shows the balance owed. That's not the way it works legally. So you have to be very careful that the through date of the release matches the amount of money that you are expecting for that period of time. Um, Other mistakes we see people make just because the release is titled a partial release doesn't mean anything. What does the document itself say? Um, so you have to read the whole release. Don't just rely on the title. Have you carved out any rights for retainage or claims or delays? So most releases that are given to you in exchange for a check say that you release all of your rights, claims, change orders, delays, um, extras in exchange for this period of uh, this amount of money for this period of time. So if you believe that you have rights, uh, for a delay claim, unexecute, uh, sorry, unapproved change orders, you need to exclude from the release. This release excludes PCO 14, 19, and 24. Um, this release uh, excludes our claim for delay dated June 7, 2023. So if you want to carve anything out of the release, you have to do it in every release. If you don't, more likely than not, that release is going to release those rights. So the last mistake we see folks make is with conditional releases. If you exchange, if you give someone a release, let's say you're a a subcontractor, you give a release to a GC um, and they give it to the owner and it's not conditioned, meaning it's not conditioned on you receiving the money, what happens if you never get the money because you've given someone a release based on the promise of a check and that check never arrives and your release is not conditioned on the money arriving then if you never get the money you're out of luck you will have released your lien rights even though you never got the check so how do you fix that you have to add conditional release language to your release so it can say this release is conditioned upon the payment of blank so if you're expecting a fifty thousand dollar check you'll write in fifty thousand and it is not effective until said amount is received in paid funds by the undersigned so our last tool is the make me conditional stamp you can go to make it has that language in a stamp You just stamp it on the release. You write in the amount of money that you're expecting, and now it will make any release conditioned on you getting um, the check. And if you never get the check, then you don't have to worry because you've made the release conditioned on you actually getting the funds. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.